When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is college football championship weekend. Amber and Ian is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. And boy, do we have a slate of games, Ian, games that mean a whole <laughs> lot when it comes to the college football playoff standings. Maybe none bigger than what's happening in the Pac-12 on Friday. You talked to a couple guys who are going to be playing in this game that we will get to in just a moment. But the fifth-ranked Oregon Ducks taking on the third-ranked Washington Huskies. Ducks have dropped a game. Huskies undefeated. But Rematch. it's... It's, it's, but sports it's Oregon that's uh, favored in this one by nine and a half. I mean, they're the team that lost by three, you know, to Washington on October 14th. And this is, to me, I, I really hope that having a rematch on this stage, Amber, lets America know how much these two teams respect one another, but also absolutely hate and despise one another. This is a remarkable rivalry. It is pure sports hatred when these two iconic helmets Swap paint yet again coming up on Friday night on ABC and right here on ESPN Radio. Ian had a chance earlier to talk to Jackson Powers Johnson, the Oregon All-American Center, about this matchup. What's that like being the anchor on an offensive line and living up to the standard that I just mentioned where so many greats have come before you? Well, it's humbling. You know, a lot of, as you said, a lot of great offensive linemen have uh, come through here in Oregon and uh, we take pride as a unit um, upholding the standard. And, um, you know, it's been a really fun year. What is the year of football I've played? And uh, I think our group is just taking a lot of pride in what we do. And we got a lot of elite guys and, you know, really gifted uh, offensive linemen here. So we're having fun. Man, you, you mentioned fun three times there in that answer. What, what has been different about this year compared to any other year that you've played ball? I think just the connection as a team. We're all – all really connected together. We're connected as an O-line group. You know, we're finding fun in the work that we do. Um, we come, you know, sometimes you get in, coming to work every day and it gets monotonous. But I think us as a group and as a, us as a team, we're excited to come in. We're excited to work and we're excited to come have, you know, fun playing football because you can say what you want about college football and how big it is and how much money it brings. But really it's just a child's game that you're playing since you were eight years old. How do you separate that in this day and age, especially as a college player? Professionally, it's different. But as a college guy, the money is now rolled in. So how, how are you able to compartmentalize that business side versus just continuing to have that eight-year-old mentality? At least for me, I'm fortunate to have a you know, very supporting parent to help me on the side of you know, the business side of it. But also just you know, being where your feet are. You know, if I'm at the facility, you know, I'm here to work and I'm here to play football and I'm here to be uh, you know, a great teammate. And when I'm outside, you know, I can be a you know entrepreneur guy who has, you know, good teeth, smile in front of the camera. Like I can be that guy. <laughs> just being where your feet are and uh, knowing, uh, 
just knowing what you need to do in certain situations and what you need to uh, be. He's one of the best interior offensive linemen center for the Oregon Ducks. They have a Pac-12 championship they're pursuing. We'll be on the call right here on ESPN Radio along with Herb Street, Fowler, and Holly Rowe on the TV side. I'll be with Mark Kestershire and Kelly Stoffer. Can't wait to watch Washington and Oregon swap paint again. And Jackson, let's just... Talk about that rivalry. To me, having been had the privilege of calling that game several times, it is one of the more underrated rivalries, not just in college football, but in all of sports. You all, that's true sports hate and respect. If you can, what's it going to be like for you, if you can sum it up, going back out there against these dudes one more time? Uh, you know, it's, I'm honestly so humbled, you know, to be even a part of this game. You know, they're a great squad, and they have a lot of great players and, you know, elite coaches, and it's just exciting. You know, the opportunity to compete against, uh, you know, a great team in a great rivalry and uh, arguably the last Pac-12 championship is special, you know, and it's legendary. And to be against, you know, our rivals and be against uh, a rivalry that's gone so deep for so long, I mean, I don't think anybody could have wrote that any better. So it's very, it's an exciting experience. It's, uh, it's just another opportunity to go and play football. And I think everybody, every one of us is uh, really grateful for the opportunity. Hey, Jackson, you guys have been playing on a whole other level ever since October 14th. And then you know what happened on October 14th. Yeah, yes, sir. For people who don't know, you want to remind them or you want me to do it? Does that taste like vinegar uh, on no, your palate? I, I think you got it. I think you got it. You got, you, got, you got a better voice. You got a better voice than I do over here. I'm a little sick. It's colder than you do. So I think you got it. Uh, that was the final score. Washington 36, Oregon 33. And nobody's come within the double digits of you guys since. What was said after that game? Because you guys have just taken your – individual play and team play to a whole nother level. I think the big emphasis is that instead of, you know, look at the faults that we had or look what, you know, the uphill climb that we're going to have to endure, we just looked at inside and say, how much better can we get as a unit together? How more, how can we get more connected? How can we lean on the guys that we have in this room? You know, blocking out the outside noise too, um, because it gets loud and, uh, just, and then just working every single day. Falling in love with the process of working and knowing that we still control our destiny and we control our destiny by Monday practice, Tuesday practice, Wednesday practice. And uh, I think just mostly blocking out the noise, though. It's Jackson Powers Johnson, an Oregon All-American Center here with us on ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson on me, Infant Sims. And Amber, you heard his tone of voice there after I referenced October 14th. And he started getting into and getting animated about, you know, hey, look, it's, it's every rep. It's, it's holding guys accountable. They have been truly a different team since that three-point loss against our arch-rival Washington. Well, that's what you have to do to move forward, right? Like you have to just go ahead, hyper-focus, find a way to make sure that history doesn't repeat itself. And you would imagine that that's the motivated team. I remember – from years ago, one of the <laughs> one of the national championships that my Florida Gators won, uh, there was that rematch against Florida State where they lost Sugar to Bowl. Florida State and then they end up beating them in the Natty 52 to 20 because you don't want to be on the other side of that rematch, right? It's like it's like when the what was it the Michigan kicker took the practice kick and made it through the uprights and you're like oh no bad idea you don't take that kick you don't take that kick because they're gonna miss it when it actually counts that's the kicker I think that's kind of how it feels when it comes to rematches during championships is the team that loses it in the regular season then they have that extra motivation and they really dialed it in and listen if you're Oregon then I understand why they have felt hyper-focused all season long on how to improve to beat Washington this time around. Dylan Johnson, he is a running back for Washington. Ian had an opportunity to also sit down with him. Here's that. 
just getting to know you and your team, and, and especially your head coach, Kalen DeBoer, I don't think America truly appreciates what a remarkable human being, forget coach, but person, that Coach DeBoer is. If you can, man, sum up what it's like to play for this guy. Can't really put it into words, man. Absolutely awesome guy. Uh, really humble, kind-hearted guy, man. Goes out his way to make sure that, you know, we never need anything on or even off the field. And then just, um, you know, he challenges us to be better every day. And I think that's the biggest thing that I would say I love about him the most. Get into that. I mean, how much do you not only want to get better for the man in the mirror every day, but also for the guy next to you and for your head coach who holds you accountable to be, what's this saying, 1% better every single day? Absolutely, man. I think that goes, like, in life, you know. Um, he does He does a really good job of, like, telling us that football is not the only thing that we have. You know, we have family, we have friends. That are really looking out for us, man, trying to make sure that, you know, we have something after football. So, you know, he he does a really good job with that. And then, you know, just letting us know that every day we need to have a one and oh mindset. And so that goes with like having a bad play. If you remain in the past, you'll mess up again, man, and you'll you'll continue to mess up. So um he, he does a really good job of just worrying about the future, the next the next play or the next thing, you know. So loving the dev man and just an awesome guy. You went for over two hundred and fifty plus yards rushing against USC when we had you out there uh, on ESPN radio. And then obviously ZTF, you know, your all pack twelve edge rusher lost his father that week. And I'll never forget asking Coach DeBoer in our post game interview about ZTF and he broke into tears. And I saw a bunch of you guys around your senior leader after that game. What is what does team mean to the Washington Huskies? But because with you guys, it just feels a little bit different. I mean, if you look at it, there's no I in team. So, you know, we play for each other. And I think that goes to show that, like, I mean, look at our, the games. If you go back and look at the last five or six games, man, we wouldn't have done it without each other. Like, even, like, the offense playing for the defense, the defense playing for the offense. Like, nobody can win by just one person. So I think, like, Coach DeBoer stresses the word family a lot and just making sure that it's just not about football. It's more than football and I think we understand that, and he does a good job of preaching it. Well, the best running backs in college football, he totes it for the number three team in the country, the Washington Huskies, number seven. Dylan Johnson here with us on ESPN Radio, getting ready for the Pac-12 championship game, which you'll hear right here coming up on Friday night. And This is a rematch, man, and I, I don't think a lot of people across the country truly understand the rivalry between Oregon and Washington. This is sports hate people see the iron bowl the red river rivalry between oklahoma texas ohio state michigan can you please explain to america right now oregon washington washington oregon i mean i mean our first game should speak for itself man i i I know people don't really get to see us play as as often because we play so late sometimes but man i mean it's nothing like it it's definitely the best rivalry anywhere on the west coast for sure and it's definitely the best rivalry game that I have been a part of and played in. Hold on, man. You're a Mississippi State guy. You played it in the Egg Bowl. and So this is high praise here, folks. Just putting it into context. Continue. Go ahead. Man, it's it's the craziest one I've played in, man. You know, and I'm from Mississippi, you know, played at Mississippi State. You know, we had the Egg Bowl, man. And it's past that, man, like how just intense it is. I know how I know how it is down south and I know how the state in Ole Miss is, but man, it's just, I don't know what it was. It, I don't know if it was just 
because of us being so highly ranked and so much at stake. I don't know, man, but it was just it just felt bigger, you know. You can't really describe it. You can only just, you know, live in the moment. I think, you know, I did you just had to be there to really understand. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. People do understand how intense this rivalry is, and I cannot wait for Friday night, ESPN Radio, ABC TV, to watch these two swap paint. (coughs) Excuse me, yet again. You're getting choked up because you're that excited about Oregon-Washington, the rematch for all... (laughs) For all the marbles in the Pac-12, that game, it's a kickoff, 8 p.m. Eastern, meaning Ian is going to have coverage for you beginning at 7.30 p.m. Eastern right here on ESPN Radio. Coming up next, though, on ESPN Radio, Amber and Ian with you. Has the NBA's in-season tournament already been a massive success? And also, is Ian still with us? Ben Fitzsimmons is a bit of a legend at ESPN Radio. He has been here a very long time. He has been in this business doing this, very, doing this very, very well at the highest levels on national, both as a radio host. Don't know where this is coming from. And on the sidelines. Almost died of our eating popcorn. best games all across college football. There are two things that every person who works in radio knows that you never eat yep. during yep. radio. <laughs> Peanuts and popcorn. One, there you go. One is peanuts. The other one yep. is popcorn. popcorn. And Ian Fitzsimmons almost just died eating popcorn on there. <laughs> so I walked out during a taped interview, right, when we were playing um, uh, uh, Dylan Johnson, running back Washington, and before that the All-American Center from Oregon. So I walked out, and the kids have gotten a, the, the, one of the big Christmas, you know, Three layer. You got the caramel. You have oh, the cheese. So you have the regular, good. right, the big, popcorn. The big yeah, the big Yes. Oh. Just showed up, right? So I'm like, okay, years. now now it feels like Christmas, and here we go. We we we've passed the turkey. Now we're hitting into into in into you know Christmas season, and let's get all merry and jolly and filthy fat. And I got you can't walk by that damn drum and not grab some popcorn. So I, I did, and said good night to the girls. Came back into the studio. We had about two minutes left with Dylan Johnson, and I'm chugging. You saw me chugging water. It doesn't matter. It does it not matter. matter. It's, it's radio one on one. No matter what, if you have peanuts or popcorn, and you're coming back on air, you're going to get choked up and sound like you're crying. And now with it's, me, 
It's why when I had a kid, I learned that the one thing that kids can't eat until they're four is popcorn because of that, because of the choking hazard, because it just gets stuck in there. Like, there's nothing you can do. As an adult, you kind of deal with it. As a child, obviously, apparently you can't. But yeah. worst right now, I've got a popcorn kernel lower right that's stuck in between the tooth and gum. You got it. down in there. And why do we still eat it? Why? When we know that's going to happen. it's so Good. I love popcorn. I mean, I anybody too. who's been listening to the show or following me for Skinny a long pop. time knows that. Yeah. Well, I have, I have some of that, too. Uh, but anybody knows that I am not one who partakes in all of the carbohydrates all the time. Popcorn is one of the exceptions to that rule. It is so darn good. I will say that can thin thing that you're talking yeah. about. I haven't had that in years. But I'd be all over that. If that was sitting in front of my face, I too, I wouldn't be able to res- uh, to resist the cheddar. Wait till your Popcorn. son is older because that's where they get spoiled. The uncles and the aunts, you know, grandparents, whomever, right? I mean, they're, they're going to, that, that damn massive tin can is going to mm-hmm. show up as a gift for the kids and the adults go in and attack and got me. It'll yep. drop. It'll drop you every time. Just, every just, single every time. time. Just don't do it while hosting a radio show. Amber and Ian is presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's get to some of the big headlines around the NBA because we've been so consumed, of course, with NFL and college football and everything that's happened and is going to happen this coming weekend. But boy, are there a lot of storylines in the NBA, and maybe surprisingly to some people, none bigger than the NBA in-season tournament. The bracket is here. The thirty-team group stage portion of the inaugural in-season tournament has now been whittled down to an eight-team field, and the knockout round will start early next week. You have quarterfinal games to Monday to Tuesday. They will be held on the home floor of the four highest seeds. Those teams are the Bucks and the Pacers in the East and the Lakers and the Kings in the West. I would say, Ian, that this in-season tournament has been a bigger success than I expected it to be off the bat because it feels like the players care. And I don't know how much yet the average fan cares, frankly, or is noticing. The NBA did a smart thing making the courts different colors to alert you when your team is playing for this in-season tournament. But I can tell you, like, the Heat getting knocked out of it, not making it, you know, it's it's a storyline on all the Heat podcasts I'm listening to. It mattered last night. And the fact that these things are mattering on a Tuesday night in November for an NBA season right now, it's almost unheard of that we're caring. It's a success. I think it's forward thinking by Adam Silver. He's catering right now and and wanting this to become a big thing with 12, 13, 14-year-olds to the point where when they're 21, 22, 23, it's like Premier League soccer where this is a massive event. I think it's a smart move. It's forward thinking, and it's going to catch on. It's certainly going to catch on. It's funny. Those guys are such competitors that no matter what trophies apparently you put in front of them, they'll start playing at the highest oh, levels and, and, to try to go and ahead and attain grand them. Also, yeah, well, that too, five hundred grand. They're running up scores. They're not because you know typically you take That's your foot off breaker. the gas pedal, yeah. but it's a tiebreaker in this tournament. Adam Silver so far is getting everything that he wants out of these players. We all questioned it. Five hundred grand when you have you know tens of millions of dollars doesn't maybe sound like that much, right? From that vantage point. Apparently, it matters to all of these dudes. But really, I think it's just the bragging rights of ultimate competitors. Is this our NBA music? Are you feeling NBA? Well, NBA That's jam. What this is? 
It's our NBA music as we move on to another NBA topic. Mark Cuban, he is selling the majority stake in the Dallas Mavericks. Most people did not see this coming from the billionaire, but reportedly he is selling off a stake that is now worth billions of dollars and he paid like what was it 400,000 or something for this team I don't he, have it in front of me just but. under 300 million for the Mavericks <laughs> a long time ago and he's selling them now for 3.5 billion <laughs> to the Adelson family who are in charge of the Sands you know casinos I mean right. she is a multi I mean she's she's like the fourth or fifth richest woman in the world Miriam Adelson so great name this is one where one, the Phoenix Suns sold for $4 billion. Dallas-Fort Worth is a larger market. Cuban gets to keep his managerial rights in, in basketball ops. That's why she's getting this at a discount. But make no bones about this. There's zero doubt in my mind that she is going to find a way to finally tell Texas politicians, do not keep taking the money from Louisiana and Oklahoma casino owners that are greasing Texas politicians' pockets, Mm -hmm. there will be a casino finally in Texas where it should be, and those Texas dollars need to stay. There will be a casino across the interstate next to the Dallas Mavericks practice facility within the next decade. She will find a way to make that happen. There, there's zero doubt in my mind. I, I have zero doubt that every state will eventually, eventually find a way to make that happen. Brilliant move yes. by Cubes. He's leaving Shark Tank. He's essentially retiring at 65, except keeping a operational title with the Dallas Mavericks and still right. being in charge of basketball calls. Right. Still getting still getting to live out the dream, right? Still getting to play with the toy, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Draymond Green says he's not going to change, by the way. Shouldn't. We have learned Draymond doesn't feel any remorse for the altercation with Rudy Gobert. He ain't going to change, Ian. Does that shock you? No, he shouldn't. That's, that's part of what makes Draymond. him Draymond. Draymond, the Warriors, the Warriors. Yeah, well, the Warriors don't look so good, but they're going to ride this thing all the way down. That's what you do when the guys have delivered you multiple championships. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, Cole Kublik is going to join us. We got a lot of SEC football to talk about with SEC championship upon us, plus championship weekend generally, and the college football playoff rankings. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Going along here on Amber and Ian. Amber and Ian is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. His daughter's runs all of his accounts. He doesn't know what social media <laughs> is, but they provide excellent content. At Amber W Sports, that's how you find me. My kid's not old enough to run my account yet, but I will be putting him to work when he is. It is championship weekend in college football, so boy, is there a lot to talk about. For help with that, Cole Kublik, SEC Network, ESPN college football analyst, 
read and react on SEC Network is how you watch them. Cole, as always, thanks for your time. Let's start with the college football playoff rankings because when those rankings came out yesterday, Ian and I argued and argued and argued about these things. And and there was a couple uh, components to the rankings that really bothered each of us. But I'll start with the one. It's not SEC, but the one that we argued about the most was Florida State. How do you feel about the top four undefeated being there one through four? I think that's where they should be as of now. Um, I, I think it's something that is very difficult to manage. Even I go back and forth on it a little bit. A team that has accomplished what they have accomplished, if they win this game this weekend against Louisville and become ACC champions and get another good win, um, having done that but without one of your star players, which changes the type of team that you are, I understand that it makes you, you, you difficult to judge. But I think the other part about it is, you look at that receiving core, you look at that defensive line, you look at those running backs. they got a lot of other really good players outside of Jordan Travis. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough decision, and I think it's, that, that's the one. We talk about some of these things come down to how you view teams. It's going to come down to personal preference. That's one with that committee that is going to depend on do you view a team very different without their star player, or, or do you view that team uh, as having earned – the ability to be where they are. And, and it's not the, what the teams have earned to get in. It's are they the best four teams? And without Jordan Travis, I do not believe that Florida State is one of the best four teams if things go a certain way, as in what happens with Oregon this weekend, what happens with Texas, Alabama this weekend. So having said that, to you, is it the best four that belong in or the, the, the four most deserving? Because right now, I think Alabama would beat Florida State on a neutral site. I think Washington would beat Florida State on a neutral site. I think Michigan, Georgia, they would all and Texas would beat Florida State on a neutral site. To me, they are deserving, but they are not one of the four best. That was our argument last night. Yeah, and I think it should be the four best teams. And I think that's one of the benefits of going to a 12-team playoff. Go ahead and have, have the AQs. And go ahead and have that, you know, the, the ACC champion gets in, the Big 12 champion gets in, because we, we've heard this year after year after year that undefeated conference champion or one-loss conference champion, we know good and well that that committee changes their opinion when that moniker is placed next to your name. Is that right? Probably not. Um, should it really change your opinion of the team? No, not really. If what they did in that game helps change your opinion of that team or helps your argument to support that team, that's fine. That's great. But you shouldn't greatly change your opinion of your of a team just because they won a conference championship game. If you think another team is better than them, then you shouldn't put them in. And I think we've had some really good teams over the last four or five years be left out because they didn't have that title next to their name. So for me, Ian, it's always going to be the four best teams. We haven't always gotten that, but that's what I would want in. Yeah, and, and we served with you on the mock committee years ago, and we didn't talk for weeks because we were arguing over best and which ones were deserving to be in. Can you imagine being on this committee with eight teams by the committee's numbers, right, still alive for four spots in the college football playoff? Um, no, because I, I, I would have probably already been stressed out to the point that no one would have wanted me there. Um, when Ohio State started at number one, um, I would have probably been done then. And then with, with the treatment of Oregon, of head of Texas and Alabama, that, that wouldn't have been very friendly. We would have had some pretty serious problems there. Um, 
I, I just the inconsistencies drive me crazy, and I, I I can't with the with the you know oh we, we value the resume and, and and you know we we have to have the resume, and that's why Georgia wasn't number one, why Ohio State was, it's why other teams are valued, but then Oregon, Alabama, if you're just going to go by numbers. I mean, perception might be a little bit different for some people, and that's fine. But if you're going to go by numbers, Alabama's got the best resume of these eight teams. I mean, their overall opponent record is 85 and 59. They've only defeated three teams that are under 500 on the season. I understand that they have a loss, so that makes them different perceptionally than Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Washington. And, and, and that's okay. Those other teams deserve to be ahead of them because they didn't lose. Um, Texas would actually be next. Uh, if you're just looking at resumes and, and statistically what the teams have done. Um, now, I will say Ohio State's resume is better than how I view them as a team. When you look at the fact that their uh, overall opponent records are 82 and 62, the one team that they lost to is undefeated and a top two team in the country right now. So it, it, it just feels like it almost feels to me right now like the like this committee put themselves in a corner with Oregon early on, and they don't want to prove themselves wrong this late in the process. Um, I am I'm I've always been okay with reevaluating and reassessing, and going in every week with a new slate. I, I, there's no way this committee has done that. There's no way they have hit the reset button each and every week. They have had a lot of that old AP poll. Uh, phobia where they have they had the team there uh, for the first four or five weeks and by god they just got to keep them there even if they feel like somebody's better like we we can't move them down just because of who they are what we thought of them early it's just uh, I, that there's parts of this that are just so inconsistent and i just don't understand it cole kublik sec network and espn college football analyst joining us here on amber and ian cole the reason that i hate your argument and ian's argument frankly when we talk about <laughs> who's the best is because what's the point then twofold especially when it comes to fsu and i'm a gators fan so i hate the seminoles so i hate that i've had spent had to spend any time defending florida state but what's the point of playing the games if we're just gonna then if you defeat everybody who's in front of you and you can only play who's on your schedule if you go ahead and take care of business against everybody on your schedule and you're still not going to get in, then why are we even bothering? But then also on the back end of that, of course, is having a massive injury be the reason. It feels like punishment when you lose the guy. It's at the end of the season, and that's why you're kept out, even though all season long you've been great. I hate it. And Amber, I would tell you, like I tell my kids every day, life ain't fair. And, and that's just kind of part of this whole situation. When you, when you go with four teams – and you're going to have five major conferences who are going to crown a champion that potentially people are going to view as deserving to be in if they win those games in front of them, like you said, somebody's going to be left out. And, and this could easily work itself out with four undefeated conference champions, and, and, and they go, and that's going to be it. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think Georgia and Alabama get in in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I just, I just don't think that happens. Um, but then you know, what is the committee going to do? I was surprised that Ohio State only went to six. I do think part of that was a little bit of CYA from the committee saying, well, Texas and Alabama get to play this weekend, and we can just say that they earned their way above Ohio State because they didn't play. There's also some of that forward thinking going on. I absolutely believe that that's a real thing. Um, my problem with your Florida State argument would be that they've defeated five teams that are below 500. Their overall opponent record is 67-76. and 76. Their best win is LSU at 9-3. and three. Um, and then when you get past that, obviously you have an 8-4 and four Clemson team that you beat on the road. There's not a lot of other really good wins. There's not a lot of braggable wins on the schedule. 
I think Florida State has a lot of really good football players. I think Florida State's a really good football team. I think Norvell's a hell of a coach. But if you're comparing it to what Georgia has done or what Michigan has done or what Alabama has even done, from the perspective of the schedules, I, I, I don't really think that the resumes are very close. And I think that's an easy solution. Now, if you want to tell me from an eyeball test perspective that you like Florida State better than Washington, that, I have no problem with that. Uh, because that's what the committee's telling me with Oregon versus what they see in Ohio State and Texas and Alabama. I mean, hell, I think, I think Missouri's a better football team than Ohio State right now. But that's, just, that's, that's me watching the games and, and what I see from the teams when I watch the games. I think Ohio State's a team that doesn't have a ton of balance offensively. I don't think they're great up front on offense. I think they're overly relying on an individual player. And I, I think their defense is not one that, if they're not attacking you, is one that's going to be super problematic. So that's just the way that I see them. So it's everybody's going to have their different opinions when they watch these teams play because you value different things and you watch them different ways. Cole, let's get into, into the committee's worst nightmare, in, in my opinion. And that is, if Texas beats the Pokes, Florida State beats Louisville, and Alabama finds a way as a five-and-a-half to six-point underdog on ESPN bet to beat Georgia. One Give us your analysis, knowing these two teams extraordinarily well, Georgia-Alabama, the matchup in the SEC championship, and does Alabama, in your opinion, have a – well, I think they have a legit shot. How would they beat Georgia to have the committee put into one of the worst situations we've ever seen for a college football playoff scenario? You're asking me how does Alabama get that win? Yep. Well, if you watch these two defenses – over the last couple of weeks, what has, and, and they're obviously very similar in structure. They're, they're not far off in ability. Uh, I think, I think Georgia's a little bit better on the back end. I think Alabama's better on the edges. Uh, I think linebacker probably leans Georgia, even with Dumas Johnson out, but they're pretty close across the board. What they have struggled with is misdirection, eye violations, eye candy, Read plays, option plays, so zone reads, quarterback ability to keep, throw, and, that's they do. Uh, and being able to hand the ball off, and then teams changing up those reads as well. Georgia Tech, Buster did a magnificent job, Buster Faulkner, their offensive coordinator, of going east and west, switching up the run game from pin and pull to zone to stretch, and then finding some plays off of that that they could read and then quickly get the ball out. Hugh Freeze did an amazing job with that Auburn offense of understanding how they were going to fit it. He attacked that with pullers found different ways to utilize motion, pre-snap, post-snap movement to be able to get them out of position. Both these defenses have struggled with very similar things the last couple of weeks. Well, Alabama's offense has the ability to morph into being very close to what those two defenses have seen, thus Georgia having seen that. Georgia can't morph to that. They can't change to that. You can only run counter in an actual reverse so many times. They don't have quarterback run that they can add. There's not quarterback reads that they can add that have to be respected a certain way. And Georgia's defense is overly aggressive out on the edge, which is not good for a mobile quarterback. See what Peyton Thorne did to him earlier this year. And if I think Mike Bobo's done a great job this year of saying, this is who we will be in this game, and we're going to live and die on that because that was their plan going in, and that's what they thought they can do. They've been a little bit of a north-south team. I'll also say they did that against Mississippi, and they did that against Tennessee, teams who jump out of their gaps a lot because they're very aggressive up front and they stole yards from them. It wasn't just them blowing guys off the ball. So I I think if, if Georgia has to sit in the pocket and Carson Beck has to drop back to win this football game, Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell are not going to allow that to happen. They're not going to be overly successful doing that. 
Uh, and I think offensively, you have a kid in Jalen Milrow that just continues to make plays week in, week out. That's the recipe that I think Alabama has the ability to put in place to potentially go win this football game. The college football playoff committee is rooting Ooh. against that. Right. <laughs> rooting against that hard uh, because if Alabama beats Georgia, certainly chaos ensues. Cole Kublik, SEC Network. Watch him on Read and React. Also, of course, with us here at ESPN as our college football analyst. Thanks, Cole. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Enjoyed it. Amber and Ian is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save. 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and at Progressive.com. Coming up next, how much is a quarterback in the transfer portal going for these days? Woo, it's nice. It's nice to be a quarterback, a coveted quarterback in college. We will get into that. ESPN Radio is also on the ESPN app. Down the stretch here on Amber and Ian. You can find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. All you have to do is tell your smart speakers to play ESPN radio. There's a lot of moolah in college football these days in terms of name, image, and likeness. And of course, the transfer portal has also quite literally changed the game and changed the college football landscape. So how much is one of those coveted quarterbacks in the transfer portal going for these days of a school is interested in getting him Matt rule. He is Nebraska's head coach. Here is him talking about the pursuit in the transfer portal of quarterbacks. Make no mistake that a, a good quarterback in the portal costs, you know, a million to a million five to $2 million right now. So just, just, just on the same page. Right. So, um, <laughs> let's make sure we all understand what's happening. So, um, um, you know, there's some teams that have six, six or seven million dollar players playing for them. So, no, is that frustrating? The way where we're at now with the dollars involved? Uh, it is what it is. Yeah, it's not, no, no, you, you know, I would not let people be able to buy people off another roster. It's so simple. Like you think about you recruit somebody and you develop them for two years, and then someone comes in and takes them, and then that coach gets fired. You know, it's like, well, he actually did a pretty good job. So that's the that's what these head coaches are dealing with, right? In the landscape of college football, these players are, are getting paid. These players, in my opinion, should have been able to benefit off their own name, image, and likenesses throughout the entirety of the existence of college football. I think it's insane that they weren't. But on the back end, because there's no regulation, because the NCAA became so weak, because they there's didn't no salary address cap. this. What, because they didn't address this, you know, two decades ago when, frankly, they could have and anybody saw the direction that this was headed and they waited for the Supreme Court to get involved on multiple levels. Because of that, they found themselves in a situation where they can't do anything. It's the wild, wild west. Every state has different laws as it pertains well, to boy. name, image and likeness in colleges. All these universities have different bylaws, by the way, in within these states. It is the wild, wild west and it's left up to the to the coaches to navigate. It's just the reality. It, it goes back to when NIL and the portal was introduced by the empty golf shirt and direct deposit himself. And all the guy, I, I referred to him as direct deposit in the empty golf shirt because all the guy cared about was playing golf and his direct deposit. And that's Mark Emmert, you know, the former NCAA president. He goes, oh, you guys want NIL? And you want to be able to transfer? Okay, I don't care. There was, there was no... Guidelines. There's no guardrails. There's no. The NFL has a salary cap, so every school should be operating in the Power Five conferences under the same guidelines. 
But it's not the schools. But, but, but it, but, it's the boosters. Yeah, but my point is, if Mark Emmert had done his job and actually put, all right, each school is allowed to spend this amount of money, and, and you actually put guardrails on it, we wouldn't have this ridiculous era we're in right now where I know this for a fact. One offensive, current offensive coordinator in a Power 5 conference told me that Cam Ward, the outstanding quarterback for Washington State, is is being offered north of one million per in NIL by four to five schools already. Okay, good for Cam Ward. It's awesome. Yeah, good for, him. for Cam Ward. But as far as the schools go, everyone should be operating under the same parameters, like you do in the NBA, like you do in the NFL, like you do in the National Hockey League. If you want to make college football a professional sport, here are, here's your salary cap. There isn't one. Bama can go and spend $800 million if they want on a football team compared to another school, let's say Arkansas, who only has the, the funds to do $200 million. It shouldn't be that way. It should be every school is operating under the same rules, but we're not because the empty golf shirt and direct deposit said, you guys want it? To hell with it. I don't care about the game, the students, the athletes, the fans, the coaches, any of it, do whatever the hell you want. That's where this whole thing started, and that's what that's why we are where we are. I'll push back a little bit because it's not the schools paying the players, and that would be straight-up pay-for-play, and that gets into a whole myriad of very complicated issues that include legal issues like Title IX, but also Yeah, but they'll have the collectives. Things. It's the same no, but thing that's to different. me, Those are separate from the university. So, I mean, theoretically, Alabama is not paying its players. It's Alabama boosters It's the collective. It's the same the thing. Players. It's the but same thing. But it's not thing. the same thing. It's it, absolutely not the same thing because the money is not coming from the athletic department. Okay. And that's not me just saying that, like how we used to say, in air quotes, payers, players aren't paid and, you know, they're showing up with McDonald's bags of money. I'm not I, the, the money is actually coming from the collectives. It's not coming from the athletic department. When it comes from the athletic department, it creates a, a myriad of, of issues. And that's sort of a, a separate subject. There's a whole myriad of issues over here as well, is, is what I'm is what I'm suggesting. And there was a way for the NCAA back many years ago to also put rules in place. And right now you have college coaches going to our federal government, trying to get them involved, trying to get Congress involved to try to regulate this thing. And that's probably not what the government should be spending its time on, right? Having to clean up college football when there was already a supposed unifying body that was there for intents and purposes to do that, even though, of course, they bulked on that response. Responsibility, and then the court system came in and said all of this violates antitrust, which in fact it did. And so any legal expert could have tell you, told you this is where this is headed if it's ever going to be challenged at the highest levels in terms of the court system. So now you have no regulations. Unlike the NFL, you don't even have That's agents that have to be certified, it, it's, it's, right? There, there should be guidelines in place, and there aren't. And if you want to there's separate, there's guidelines the, from states, and there's guidelines from universities. And they're all different, so they're, they're all, all playing different. under different. Different rules. That's right. my point. It should be or the uniform rule. And if you want to separate the collectives from the schools, fine. And to me, that's semantics. But the bottom line is they're not all playing by the same rules. And that's why you have chaos. And look, we all are all going to love college football no matter what. But man, to be a coach in this day and age, it, it ain't easy. It, it, and that's Matt Rule's point. It is not easy at all. 
It's not easier, easier for the kids because they're benefiting off the system that has made millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And before, of course, they weren't benefiting that, but there are problems with that as well and a lack of protections for them. It's way too complicated to get into. 